God bless you. This is Pastor R.R. Jordan. Thank you for tuning into the Advancing Church Podcast. You know, the Bible says in Romans 10 and 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I pray that today's message will ignite your faith to propel you forward to the next level in your walk with Christ. Now let's get into today's message. Friends and family, um, this is a time and season in which uh, we've been doing a lot of reflecting. I know I have. Um, truly um, grateful for who God is and what he constantly does in our lives. But I wanted to take this time uh, during our Bible study hour to really reflect on what has happened this week. Uh, there's been so many people that have been impacted uh, by the murder, the senseless murder of George Floyd. And so I have brought together uh, some men who I, I love and I appreciate their voice. And we're going to talk because uh, there were some things that were shared. I know I shared a couple things today. Um, and I think that we don't sometimes give people room to be angry. But the Bible says, be angry and sin not. So there is space biblically for anger. And so we don't want to just gloss over a moment that is supposed to be a moment in which we're angry. We don't want to, you know, gloss over it and act like we're all happy and, you know, nothing has really happened. We really want to release what's in us. We really want to talk about it uh, because this is a space, a sacred space in which we've been given that freedom, that autonomy. And so I've been thinking about George Floyd and his last words. It was interesting to me that he cried out for his mother that just, that grabbed my heart. And so I was having a conversation with an amazing woman of God, uh, Pastor Tanya Brown, and uh, she spoke in such an eloquent way. And I said, you know what? Who would be better to bring to the conversation than a mother? Because he cried out for his mother. And I thought that was very, very significant. The fact that uh, there was a police officer that uh, held him in a position that was very vulnerable and put his knee in his neck is also significant. There's a separation that's happening from the head and the body. And I want to have this conversation that's almost a prophetic conversation because I believe that his words, uh, George Floyd's words really spoke to so many things that's going on right now, so many things that we're feeling right now. And so at this moment, I, I really want to bring into the conversation uh, Pastor Tanya Brown because I think that she has some things to share that's really significant just from the viewpoint of a mother being impacted by the loss of a child, which she also knows. And so at this time, I want to invite Pastor Tanya Brown into the conversation. So we're going to get her a mic, and I want her to just talk from the perspective of a mother. Just give us some insight into how moms are impacted when things like this happen. Well, first of all, I want to say praise the Lord and thank you to Pastor Jordan for inviting me to take part in this very crucial conversation and I say a crucial conversation because it's a very important conversation. I think that we cannot just uh, sit down and pretend that there's no elephant in the room. I think too long as quote unquote Christians, we have been uh, challenged by 
uh, actually admitting and recognizing that there are some conversations that need to be had. And that because we have these conversations don't mean that we hate anyone, doesn't mean that we are against anyone. It just means that we need to be heard. And this is a very wonderful platform that Pastor Jordan has provided so that we can hear one another and that we can also hear you and you can hear us. And hopefully tonight we're going to express the sentiments of so, so many people's hearts. We've read some of your comments on Facebook. We've made comments on Facebook. And so Pastor Jordan is asking me to uh, speak as a mother. And uh, to be honest, I had not been able to watch the, uh, the video until today. I, I just kept putting it off. I kept hearing about the incident. I kept reading about it. But I was not able to watch the video. I had to bring myself to a place where I was able to watch, to actually watch the video. And when I watched the video... I cannot, for the life of me, understand how anybody of any color could watch that video and not be affected. It deeply affected me, deeply affected me. Um, to see this man, a grown adult man, lying on the ground with the officer's knee in his neck, obviously with his weight, entire weight, on him, and to hear the man verbalize uh, that he could not, I can't breathe, um, my, my whole body is hurting. I mean, there's several videos out there, but the one I saw, he was saying all of these things. He says, I cannot breathe, my body is hurting, my stomach is hurting, everything is hurting. And he asked for a drink of water, uh, and then he, he called for his, his mama. It was heart-wrenching. It was heart-wrenching. It was very difficult to look at. It was very difficult to hear and to see how his needs and his feelings were just totally dismissed. Uh, it just tore my heart because the first thing I thought about was my own son. You know, my own son, my, I have grandsons, I, I have cousins, uncles, and uh, this is all too real uh, in the black community. So as a mother, and as a mother who has lost a child, it's just unspeakable. It's unspeakable. And one of the things that I shared with Pastor Jordan was those words are something his mother is going to have to listen to, when I say listen to, they will ring, they will ring, they will never, ever, ever go away. And any mother who has a heart would know what I'm talking about to see. And I don't care. It doesn't matter how old your child is. That's still your child. That's still your baby. That, that's still your flesh and blood. And to see him on that ground and uh, calling for his mother, calling for help, it was just, it was absolutely heart-wrenching. Very, very difficult to watch. And so I had a conversation this morning with, with my own son, my, my son, Lawrence III. And uh, he, he, he called me and we talked about it. And um, he said, one of the things he said to me was this. He said, Mom, you know, um, what is so difficult is what this does to the psyche, the mental, emotional state of black men everywhere. It didn't have to be me on that ground. But the fear, uh, we talked about this in the past, and I've talked to other young men about this, the fear, the apprehension, the feelings that it puts in you is just is undescribable. And if you don't even have the potential of being treated like that, you can't even, you can't even begin to understand. But these young black men, and that's why I want to commend you for having this forum, because y you all are young black men. 
and for you to have the kind of fear and the kind of apprehension because in your mind you're thinking that could be me it could happen to me so as a mother that hurts my heart you know I started to think about Ezekiel 37 mm -hmm. and in Ezekiel 37 the prophet um, is commanded to speak to the four winds or to prophesy mm -hmm. to the four winds that breath may come into lifeless bones and so when I started to think about uh, George Floyd and what was going on with him, his cry was, I can't breathe. How important is it for the prophetic voice to speak to what appears to be dead? How important is it for the prophetic voice to speak to those who are oppressed? Because often when we think about prophets, we think about someone calling out your name, calling out your address. But I think that it's, it's very important for us who um, call ourselves prophets to be able to speak to social injustice, uh, speak to some of the things that uh, we experience every day as uh, minority people. And so can you just share a little bit about that? Absolutely. I think it's very important, uh, Pastor Jordan, because... Um, uh, when we think about it's important if you love God and you know God's heart he is a just God yes. and we have to ask ourselves the question is this just is it just to uh, murder somebody in cold blood like that and get away with it yes. is it just and when we look at all of the prophets of old I mean as a church we've kind of separated ourselves uh, especially some particular denominations, we have separated ourselves from the social injustices that are out there. And uh, when we think about the prophets in the Bible, that just did not happen. They addressed the social injustices. Even when you look in Isaiah, the 58th chapter, you know, we use that chapter as a chapter to encourage us to fast and to seek the Lord. But the one thing that the Lord said to the Israelites concerning their fasting is, um, you know, well, you're doing all this fasting, you're doing all this praying, but look how you're treating people. Look at the mistreatment in the land. Look at the injustices that are in the land. Look at how you uh, treat your neighbor. The whole scenario of the uh, the, the, the neighbor and the, Samar the good Samaritan, all that's about your neighbor. So, so you're saying that we should not be silent. We should not. We cannot be silent. We cannot be silent. We have to speak up concerning injustices that we see on a regular basis. Pastor, I think that as the church, we have to speak up first and we have to speak up even more because we have been uh, perpetrators of this kind of injustice by being silent to begin with. From the very onset of slavery in America, the Bible was used, Christianity was used to beat men and women in place and to tell them how to obey the master and, and all of these things. We got a lot of religions and uh, things popping up now. And one of the things that is crucial, especially for this young generation, is they want to know what are you active in? Are we just sitting in the church fasting and praying and worshiping and singing and dancing and jumping? And, and, and But we shut our ears and we close our mouth when it comes to the social injustices around us. Yeah. These things are happening every day and one of the points that I made on Facebook today and I'm very serious about is this uh, this this mindset this ideology that uh, this does not affect me when 
we get to the point where uh, we are going to be faced with injustices, racial injustices, uh, economic disadvantages, uh, unfair housing, we're affected first as people of color. We are being affected because we are people of color. They're not, gonna, they're not looking at us at that point to see whether or not we have the fruit of the spirit. They're going to judge us by our color and not by the content of our character. So it is extremely important that we band together and that we begin to speak out against these injustices. I appreciate what you're sharing right now. Uh, in addition to that, I was, I was thinking about how to respond because we know that Jesus went into the temple and beat the money exchangers out, yes. you know, he didn't, he didn't talk to them sweet, you know? And so sometimes, you know, people kind of think, well, you're a pastor, you're, you're a minister, you should be um, saying something that's loving. Yeah. And, and um, how could you expect that from somebody who is, is upset? You know, the Bible says, again, be angry and sin not. So, so my response is going to reflect my emotions yes. where I am. And I think that to a certain degree, we've been called to be robots, mm. you know, as if we don't have feelings. I'm, I, I, I believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. I believe in being moved by the presence of God, but I'm still a human being. And I still have feelings. And so what do you say to someone who is um, observing us via social media and they think that the tenor of our conversation is off because they can sense the passion? Well, I, I actually dealt with some of that today. There was a woman who um, took issue with something that I said, and, and her comment was, you know, I've followed you for a long time. I heard you preach. I traveled to certain cities when you were preaching. I used to, I had so much respect for you. She said, respect it, used ED, past tense. Wow. And so my, re my response to her was, um, so if you're disrespecting me, I feel like you can no longer respect me now because I'm speaking out against this and because I'm expressing my passion for it, then you didn't respect me to begin with. Because if you respect me, then you respect the whole me. You respect the whole me. As preachers, I think we've, we've hidden uh, in the background too long. Yeah. And we've let other people come out and fight things that we really should be speaking up against. We, have, we are the first voice of justice. Yeah. And so the things that impact me give me um, room to breathe. Right. And so that's that's what we're really talking about. You know, the 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 idea of us having this space, because really we're speaking to the idea because there's we don't really have the reality right now. So we're speaking about the idea of us breathing and having room to express um, obviously, we're going through a pandemic right now, uh, COVID-19. We, we got some distance here uh, for that very reason. We have um, Cedric Cobb, who has provided us with uh, PPE. So we're all safe in here. So, so don't be concerned about us right now. We're good. So, so ultimately, again, I want to kind of think about this in a way that um, gives us the autonomy, gives us the freedom to express. We have to have the freedom to breathe. Yeah. Give us some room to say, I'm upset, I'm, I'm angry right now. Whatever emotion a person is going through, give them some room. Hear them, be present, instead of trying to shut them down or find the error in what they're saying. So this is why 
I thought it was important for us to really come together and have a conversation because uh, there's some men who go through uh, racial profiling and discrimination and racism on a regular basis. And, and sometimes we feel like we're being smothered to death. You know, we feel like we can't breathe. And so at this time, I want to have a conversation uh, with David, who is a part of this ministry. I want to talk to you, David, about uh, having space to breathe. Do you ever find yourself as a black man in the city of St. Louis uh, feeling like you can't breathe, feeling like there's a lot of weight on you. Um, obviously, we don't have the privilege of some, and so we're constantly fighting this battle. And I don't think people understand how intense the battle is. It is an intense battle to keep our minds uh, focused and to be father. I, I said it, George Floyd called for his mother. I think that that was significant because um, I would think in a position like that, he would be looking for dad to rescue him. But I think it speaks to something that we must take note of uh, because there is a call, a clarion call uh, for fathers to stand up again and to stand up and be there for their children and provide and, and be a voice and be a presence that is not easily shaken and easily moved. And so I wanna turn to you, David, and give you an opportunity to just share about the need to be able to breathe right now. That need is very real. I just got off the phone with my son before I came here. He's a second, uh, first lieutenant in the Army uh, in uh, upstate New York at Fort Drum. And he's surrounded in the daytime by Caucasian officers for the most part. I explained to my son very early on the significance of what we call code switching. You cannot function in this world today looking like we look without having that skill mastered. Mm -hmm. You have got to be able to relate like how I'm relating right now to you all. This conversation doesn't take place this way if I'm in another audience because the need to code switch is essential for us. When we master that skill as men, we can get our voices in to places that would ordinarily not even hear us. That young man laid on that ground with two men holding him down, one on his back sitting there and the other one on his neck with other officers standing around looking at it. How can any human being think that it is okay to witness someone say, I cannot breathe, I cannot breathe, and you still maintain the amount of pressure that you had on that man? That is just reprehensible. There is no excuse for a human being to do that kind of stuff to another human, doesn't matter what uniform you wear or whatever. You, it, it, it's just not, it, 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 it's just, I can't even wrap my mind around it. My son and I spoke for about 30 minutes about this issue. He's in a relationship where his significant other 
doesn't see what's actually happening. He has to fight a battle in his home and in the street in order for him to feel some sort of balance. Um, it's it's, it's, it's a, a very, very sad state of affairs. I know that my father's influence on me is impacting the way, or has impacted the way I've raised my children. And I just pray every day that he remains safe and that my daughters remain safe because this is truly, truly, truly just reprehensible to know that human beings in power, in a position of power, could exert that kind of force on a man who is clearly incapacitated, clearly handcuffed, clearly weighted down, and you still don't allow the man to breathe. He said, I can't breathe. They're getting ready to kill me. They're, they're getting ready to kill me. You should share this right now because we want to get this conversation out in the virtual world. Uh, you can see the passion and the hurt um, and David has part of his face covered up and I can still feel the passion and the pain that's connected to this moment. And so we want um, as a church to provide a, a space for men to have this conversation because I had a group of men on the phone this morning uh, and we were talking about our pain, our frustration and what we see going on and what we've been seeing going on. Uh, this is not obviously a new occurrence. Um, we know that uh, Ahmaud Aubrey was killed uh, just recently for jogging. And so we're, we're seeing this uh, on a regular basis. And, and we're concerned, we're concerned. The men here are concerned. We're having conversations with our sons. I brought my son and two of my nephews here today. Uh, and we're constantly now confronted with the reality of us um, being murdered, being murdered. We're watching us being murdered. And so when we walk out the door, uh, we're, we're not sure if we're gonna return. And, and you can see the concern in the community and and i brought uh, another friend with me uh, to join the conversation uh kevin who i appreciate kevin anderson uh i want him to just share because he has kevin has three sons three sons and i know that this hits home for you in in, in a real painful way and so would you mind just sharing um how you've been impacted by what we're seeing right now? On a consistent basis, it's happening. Yeah. It's as if their life has no value. It's as if you don't matter. Um, I've said to do this, you didn't do this, so now I need to take it to the highest level, which is execution. It's on a consistent basis. Uh, we can sit back and as you said, with the, uh, Jesse in Georgia. Yeah. I mean, within, the last couple of months that happened, but we didn't see about, we didn't hear about it till two months later. Yeah. Those guys were able to go home and get their story straight. Well, this man went to the morgue. Yeah. Again, you have another situation where you have a man who was there uh, allegedly with some forgery. Mm -hmm. I don't care what he was forging. I don't yeah. care if he was forging the national debt. Yeah. 
Yes. His life matters. Yes. His life matters more than anything yes. that he could have forged on a check, if it's, if, if it's true. Yes. Yes. So it's, it is a conversation that we have to have with our sons um, about just how to conduct yourself and how not to flip out over something like this. But my question to you is um, teaching them how to conduct themselves is one end, right? Mm -hmm. Even if they are behaving in a way uh, that's totally appropriate. Exactly. Um, the possibility of them dying is still very real. So, so what do you say to them about that? I know you, mm -hmm. I know who you are, and I know you train your sons up in the way that they should go. <laughs> but, but at the same time, what do we do when we are training them up in the right way and death is still around the corner? And that's the point we're at right now, because from what we see, the videos, he did nothing wrong. He cooperated with them. They told him to do one thing. He did that thing. They told him to do something else. He did that also. And he still wind up dead. So therefore, it's a situation that this is now where we have to speak up for him. We cannot let his death go in vain. We can't say, okay, well, he was just another number. He was just another person that died. Because what will happen is our sons will keep dying the exact same way. If we don't take action, if we don't speak to power and say, no, this is enough, you're not going to kill our next generation. You're not going to continue to kill our older generation. Yes. You're going to stop killing us and treat us with respect. We pay taxes. We live in this country. We are productive citizens of this country, and we deserve as much rights as anybody else here. You wouldn't do that to a dog as far as what they did to him. And with people loving dogs the way they do, that would be an outrage by all different colors right now. But it's a black man who's worth so much more than a dog that it, we owe him the responsibility of saying something about it now. So when you see us and we're out there and we're aggravated and, you know, being men of God and we don't say the most godly things at that time, this is pure anger that you will see. Although we do understand who we are, you have to speak some different things that people understand. And you can't sit back and constantly say, well, it'd be better by and by. No, we need to take action now. Jesus was radical. <laughs> Jesus was not someone to just sit back and let things happen. He was a radical. Yes. He was all about changing things. And if we're not marking like that in this type of time, then we're just passive. Yeah. Yeah. My son uh, brought up an interesting point today. He said to me, um, Dad, we look at the black folks rioting and uh, we call it riots. But my goodness, wasn't that what this country was founded on? People uh, at the Boston Tea Party, was that a party or was that an actual riot? I mean, haven't these things been going on in America? But how they're, like viewed, <laughs> how they're viewed when it's not involving people of African descent is so dramatically different. Here you had an uprising that led to the formation of the best country in the world. But when we express our displeasure and our dis, uh, uh, disenfranchisement with the government and all of the things that are oppressing us, all of a sudden, it's they are rioting. Yeah. They are misbehaving. Yeah. But wait a minute. That's what this country was founded on, <laughs> misbehaving. White folks who didn't want to <laughs> kowtow to what England had in store for them. Yeah. Um, and, and, and at the same time, we're not obviously condoning riots. Absolutely not. Absolutely because that's not. the conversation that we were having 
uh, via social media. You know, people were like, you but, know, that's not the way. And but, I said, we all but, know that that's not the way. But, but, but there is an expression they're, they're of anger. Exactly. They're expressing the same sort of anger that the, that the founding fathers of this nation expressed in the way that they chose to express it back then. No, it's not condoned. It wasn't condoned then. And it's not condoned now. But the look is different. Yeah, yeah. The oppressed are a different look. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when they were dumping that tea in the ocean, um, wait a minute, uh, that uh, was all of a sudden the greatest thing that we could have ever done. <laughs> my Lord, my Lord. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you, David. David is um, a former military officer, and so we hear it coming out of him. I, I want to turn back to Pastor Brown because I, I, was, I was thinking about protests and prayer, right? And I know that both are essential, right? I was thinking about protests from the mindset of Joshua, who took the people around the walls of Jericho, I said that was a type of protest. And so can we talk about uh, the need for prayer and protest? Yes, um, I think that what has happened to uh, the church again, uh, and this is something that the church is faulted about, faulted for, even for in this generation, that we pray, but the Bible says watch and pray. So there's a time that we pray but then there's a time that we get up and we act. Uh, in fact, um, just like the Lord told Moses, he says, why are you crying unto me? Now it's time for you to stretch out that rod. Now it's time for you to do something. To do something. To do something. And uh, when, when you were talking about the, the riots, I just wanted to read this quote uh, from Martin Luther King. Um, and he said this when, you know, the civil, during the Civil Rights Movement. He said, white Americans must be made to understand the basic motives underlying Negro demonstrations. Many pent up resentments and latent frustrations are boiling inside the Negro, and he must release them. It is not a threat, but a fact of history that if an oppressed people's pent up emotions are not nonviolently released, they will be violently released. He's not condoning it, he's explaining it. And so that, I think that is so powerful because it's being explained. People are saying, well, why are they writing, are writing? And you said something very crucial on your page today. You said, why is the question about rioting? Why is it the question about why this man was killed the way he was yeah, killed? Yeah, yeah. So yes, absolutely, Pastor. I think that we have to rise up. We need to pray. We need to uh, bind spirits. We need to do all that. But when we get finished, we have to organize. We have to educate. And we have to mobilize. And so on, on social media today, I, I posted about uh, the rioting, and I said, people are asking, why are they rioting? Mm -hmm. And the question needs to be, why aren't they being heard? Why aren't they being heard? You know, someone is dead, and they are in pain, and they want to be heard. And they don't have anyone that is saying, we hear you. You know, the police department is not saying, we hear you. And so the important thing for us to note is that when someone is hurt, they need an ear. If you do not give them an ear, get ready. 
get ready. And again, we're not condoning it. We're simply saying that you can't oppress someone. You can't kill someone. You can't discriminate them, discriminate against them, racial, racially profile them, and then think nothing is going to happen because something will eventually happen. And so the prayer piece is really important. We need to, to pray, to cry out to God, uh, but we also need to protest too. How, how critically important it is uh, for the church to pray right now? It's very important for the church to pray. And I want to just uh, talk about just for a moment what happened in Germany during the Holocaust. Because what happened then was that the churches did not speak up. They did not speak up because when six million Jews were being killed, they did not speak up because they uh, people did not want to be criticized. They did not want to be ostracized. And not only that, but the government paid them their paycheck. So they did not pay the pastors their paycheck. So they couldn't speak up. And then those one or two pastors that did speak up, they were very much, they were put out of their churches. They were uh, ostracized throughout Germany and they, and, and, and they eventually ended up dead for the most part. But it's that voice. If the churches had banded together, if we had banded together and become one voice, how much more powerful would we be if we would do those things? So we have to pray, but we also have to move. We have to act. Amen. We have to pray and we also have to move. That means that we need to vote this November. We need to let our voice be heard. And I'm making a commitment as a church to make sure we can get people to the polls and make sure our, our partners here, our members here are registered to vote. We're going to talk more about that because it's criti critically important that we impact legislation. And so I, I want to also shift to this conversation. I think that we're still um, really focusing on the pain and the hurt that we all have. But at the same time, I want to hear from the fathers again about what do you say to your sons? What, what are we saying to our sons? And I'm going to bring you into this conversation also, Cedric. What do we say to our sons right now? I would say what you say to your son right now is, this is these are troubling times that we're in. These really are. Um, the peace as far as we're praying, you pray before you protest, so therefore you have the tapestry on the inside of you to know how far to go and how to pull back. So therefore God will give you a plan and God will tell you different things. He'll have you speak again, speak truth to power and not be out there rioting. I mean, I'm not against the rioters. I'm not a rioter. But at the same time, I understand that's displaced aggression. Right. That's exactly what it is. So whether it's good or whether it's bad, it's displaced aggression. And because they have not had a voice and they have not had a chance to speak to different things, this is the only power I have is to tear something up right now. So I'm going to exercise that one power I have to tear something up right now. So therefore, that's why you see a lot of different things like they're going on. I don't care what they tear up. I'll be the first one to say it. Maybe it doesn't sound right, but I don't care what they tear up. This man's life is gone, and you can never replace that. We can rebuild anything. Mm -hmm. All the clothes, all the targets, all the whatever was taken. Mm -hmm. That's unfortunate, but his life is gone, and we all saw it on camera, and it did not have to be that way. Yeah. This was something that was senseless. So, therefore, you tell your kids, you know, keep your wits about you. You know, I love you. First thing, I, I love you, and I want you to make it home safe. <laughs> I really do want you to make it home safe. And I want you to understand the power of prayer. I will protect you in different situations. Some things are out of your control. Yeah. Yeah. He was driving and went somewhere, didn't turn out right, and now he's dead. Yeah. 
he couldn't, I don't know if he could do anything different than that. Right. That's unfortunate, but, you know. Pastor, I, I think that you have something that you would like to say, because I'm thinking about the community, right? And there were people who had cell phones, you know, and I, I was thinking, like, what would I do if I was present in that moment? Would, would I watch a brother die? Or would I risk my own safety by trying to set him free from this man who's um, really pressing the life out of him? And, and so what, what is our responsibility really? And this is the conversation that I think we're going to have to continue. But what is our conversation and, and our, our response as a community when we see this kind of thing happening? If there are people around us, what's our conversation with them? Are we saying to them, we can't let this happen? Or do we just hold our cell phones? Well, I think that um, we're not, as America, we're not satisfied whether it's violent or not violent. Look at, um, you know, uh, Ka Kaepernick, how he protested just on a knee. All of America was just against him for doing that. You don't do that here. You don't do this in the NFL. Well, where do you do it? When do you do it? How does it happen? How do we have a voice? When do we get to speak? Um, I think it was Martin Luther King again who said that we cannot wait for permission from the oppressors to do what we need to do. We have to uh, mobilize. We need to talk. I think as far as the churches are concerned, this is a great thing that's happening right here today. As a mother, I mean, it's unimaginable. It's unimaginable that that was my son on that ground. And it was our son. It was all of our sons. And so the churches, the pastors need to come together. We got we to gotta quit being, you know, weak need or jelly bag or whatever you want to call it. And we got to rise to the occasion. We have to rise to this occasion. We need to talk. We need to discuss. We need to march. We need to protest. We need to put pamphlets together. Because the reason, one of the reasons why the civil rights gained so much momentum was because of television, because of publicity. So we're gaining momentum every time people pull out those cell phones and they record those things. That is gaining momentum. So we need to write. We need to those are, that's another form of protesting. The, the power of the, the pen is mightier than the sword. We need to do all of those things. We need to take advantage of everything that's available to us to get our message across to make sure we're being heard. Wow. That's good. You know, I, I'm still at this place where I am questioning our responsibility. And I'm thinking about this man laying on the ground. He's unconscious now. What is the responsibility of the people who are watching this happen? Now, there's no blame being placed on them. I'm just saying what I want to know, and, and maybe there's someone that's watching who can help us understand this, but I want to know what can I do if I am a bystander and that's occurring right before my eyes? Because I don't think that the people who are recording were thinking that they could do anything to help this man. Pastor, I personally think that everybody that's presented with a situation has to make a personal decision as to what it is that they're going to do when they are faced with a situation. And there is no planning. You don't know what's around the corner. But what you do know is what's innately inside of you. And if you are the person that sits and records, then that's you. Mm -hmm. But if you're not, 
and you're the person that acts and believes that they can have some sort of an influence on the situation, then that's you. You have to take ownership. And I'm certain that everybody that held the phone up is looking at themselves in the mirror right now and asking themselves, could I have done something differently? Should I have done something differently? What coulda, woulda, shoulda happened? But right now that's too late. We all have an obligation to see the right and to see the wrong. And we all have an obligation to acknowledge the right and prevent the wrong when we witness it or when we see it's happening. Yeah. There is no shortcut to that. Everybody has to answer that question for themselves. I don't know how I would have responded. I see myself not responding the way I saw anyone else responding. But I wasn't there. Right. So in that there. situation, you just you just don't know how you, you would really you, respond. You can never sit in a seat of comfort and decide how you're going to react in a horrific situation. It just doesn't work like that. It just doesn't work like that. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm asking the question, because if we're ever presented with such a circumstance, I want to know what what can we do? Should we do something? Legally, um, what, what will happen to us as a result of us acting if we see someone who is in a dire situation? Should we respond? And so we're going to actually reach out to an attorney and find that information because I think that's important. But, but I want to give Cedric an opportunity to share Cedric has two daughters and a son, or three daughters. Three daughters and, and a son. son. Mm -hmm. And so what, what do you tell your children in a moment like this, Cedric? Well, it, 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 really, it really, is, really is twofold. So number one, we do focus, uh, I do focus on my son. However, if my daughters are dating black men, I also need to try to coach them on how to assist him as he, uh, I need to make sure that I help them assist uh, and show them what, what would be some good protocols to use to support a man that has to go through this and how he's actually processing this at, the, at this time. As far as my son goes, he just, he'll be turning 21 and he lives in rural America. He doesn't live in the city and in rural America, it's not a lot of people out there that look like him. So when he's driving the highways and byways and he drives about 40 minutes to get to work, it's, it's a lot of things that could happen between his front door and his door at work. And so I've had to have conversations with him about always keeping a level head. I know wrong may be being done to you, but you've got to keep it cool. What they're, sometimes people are trying to provoke you. You cannot go into that. It's literally, as African-American men, when we're faced with a situation that we really don't have a whole lot of control over. All we can do is control what we can control. And the one thing that we can control is we can control the way that we respond. Now, you have to negotiate with your feelings and say, I'm going to feel the way I really want to feel later, but right now i got to live. And that's difficult. It's really difficult. I think about myself. I'm a big guy, a protector, and, 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 and when things get out of hand, I'm a guy that tends to know how to pull things right back in order again. But there are certain situations like the one he was in that's that's that, that's a really really difficult one 
And, 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 you know, for someone like me, I probably would have got handled a lot worse because I, I pose a lot more of a threat at six, five, 300 pounds, probably been five guys, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and, and then, but also for my daughters, as they date African-American men, it, 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 it they, they need to understand how to really be emotionally available for him when, and if he's ever faced with something like this. And, and, and it's difficult because you don't know, it, it's not exactly the right thing to say is, is no say, babe, all you have to do is A, B, and C, and you're going to be good. That may not be enough. And, and so, and so to really trend over to the other part to say, well, you know, well, what do you do? What can you do? What I know that I can do is I might not be the best protester. Okay. But what I can do is I can make sure I work very diligently to get a seat at the table. So when injustice is being done, I get an opportunity to serve justice as a result of it. And, and so you, you don't know when or how that opportunity is going to come. But at the same time, that's really my focus. I'm a solution-oriented person. So when this happens, what this man's life has ended and his family is, ha has to deal with all the ramifications of it. Now, what's going to happen to you and your family? Let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do you get a seat at the table for that. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens on the other side of it. Who's at the table when these decisions are being had about what happens to him and his future? Yeah. I, I think that there, there are a couple of things that we want to talk about. we got about 10 minutes left. Uh, but I want to talk about uh, helping our children to be more politically engaged, right? Mm -hmm. And so we can, we can start that right now. Yes. This is the time to have that conversation. Yes. You know, when someone is being murdered in broad daylight, we need to make the connection with them uh, politically and help them to understand how do we impact legislation, how do we impact policies, etc. Because I don't think that they're making that connection and, and it's up to us to help them to do that. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, I, I want to have a conversation about economy mm -hmm. because we spend a whole lot of money. And so how are we planning to move forward as it pertains to our dollars and uh, where we're going to be spending those dollars? Those are conversations that we need to have like on a regular basis. That conversation needs to be present within the church. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to sprinkle that in Bible study. You know, all of those things that really um, influence society, we need to be bringing those to the table and say, this is how we create change. We, we need to make sure that we're doing that. So, Pastor, would, would you speak to that? Yeah, well, Pastor, I wanted to say this concerning uh, mob mentality, and I'll just make this short. Um, we know that mo how mob mentality works. I think that, first of all, I think you were asking prior to this question that what do we do in that particular instance when it happens? What if we developed a mob mentality in that instance? When we see and we are witnessing what people witnessed when they saw, saw uh, George on that ground, what if there was a mob mentality that everybody just came together and just, uh, yeah, that would be the time for everybody to come together and start praying real loud. Praying real loud to, to bring distraction, to bring uh, attention to what's happening. Everybody, everybody, pull out your cell phone and everybody start praying. And those who are not praying start screaming. They are killing him. They're on his head. They are taking his breath away. Somebody call the chief. Actually verbalizing that. Because one of the things that we uh, taught children when I was growing up in Harlem, uh, that if somebody is kidnapping you, don't just scream. Open your mouth and say, this is not my parent. This person is taking me. 
I don't belong to this person. When you start actually verbalizing what's happening at that very moment, that's when you get the attention of the people that are around you. And I think that is extremely important. Let's have a mob mentality. Let's, when something like this is happening, everybody scream. We talking in church. Everybody scream. No, scream on the street. Scream when somebody's dying. Take out your cell phone. Everybody holler at the same time. Everybody start praying at the same time because it, we have to bring attention to what's happening. Wow, that is so powerful because I'm remembering what was occurring at that time and everybody was like really calm. They were like, he can't breathe. Can you let him up? You know, he needs to take a breath. There were things that were being said, but it was being said in such a calm way. People were afraid, but it was the effect of the crowd because other people were quiet. It silenced the voices that were really noticing something is really happening here. But that's what I mean by the mob mentality. If everybody get together, I don't mean mob to go rush uh, police officers. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about our voice. Use our voices in unity at that very moment to stop what is being happening. Wow. What is happening. This there is power in unity. Can you imagine what would happen if we're all saying the same thing and, and we're right there on the scene and we will not be silent? We have to strategize. We have to have a plan because this is happening. It seems like it's more and more frequently, but, but it's not. It's just being caught on camera now. Is there something you want to share yes, with us? Yes, Pastor, David? yes. You mentioned earlier about uh, getting... Uh, uh, younger folks involved with uh, the political system. Everybody with a cell phone, pull it out, look up the Constitution of the United States of America. Let's just start right there. Read it, just like you read your posts and keep in touch with your friends. Read the document. That's a start. Pastor, also, We've, we've gotten away from dinner time, family dinner time. But if you study the history of people like Martin Luther King, he became politically astute by listening to his father talk at dinner. They discussed the situations, incidences like this, things that happened, him being pulled over, being called a boy as he was a grown man. He shared those things at the dinner table. We need to have some table talk with our children in our homes. I wanted to say one more thing. My, uh, when we talk about young people and their political connection, um, young people many times really underestimate the level of reach and influence that they really do have. Is when you start to take an inventory of their social media followership, people who really follow them in fashion and things of that nature, many times they model their lives after them. I have a daughter who's a YouTube sensation. She has almost 450,000 subscribers on YouTube. She does extremely well for herself. And she used to have a, a closing phrase that she used to have at the end of all her videos, but she's just now changed it to don't vote for Trump. Now, she has the ear and the eye of over 450,000 people. There's many states that don't even have that many people that vote. Yeah. And she has that many people she get influenced with one video. She's got over 30,000 people on Instagram, and I could go on and on and on. So, so many times, it, it, and, and this will be the first year that she gets to vote. This will be the first year she gets to do it. And, and so for her, she's excited about going to the polls. And she's going to take a whole gang of people with her, and her voice has a lot of weight. So that is another great way that, that they can really flex their political muscle and have people in there that they feel like they can support and really supports their agendas. That's awesome. Support black businesses. Support black, black businesses. businesses. 
Is there something else you want to share about that? I know that that's critically, yes, the economy part is, is going to be something that we must, must pay close attention to. What am I, what am I saying? I'm saying, where are your dollars being spent? You need to track your money. And we need to make sure that we're spending uh, $3 in our community for every $10 that we make. Okay. We, we, we need to make sure that we're doing that. And so this is, this is a start. You know, there's so much more uh, for us to talk about. And there's uh, so many that's obviously being impacted by what's going on right now. But I thought it would be important for us to have this conversation tonight. I ended up calling these guys together like three hours ago. You know, I, I had a Bible study plan and uh, I knew what I was going to teach on. But I said, you know what, this is a moment to just have a conversation. And we're going to continue the conversation. I want you to share this because there are more uh, conversations to come that I believe that are going to inform you and bless you. Uh, this is a moment of, of pain. But even in a moment of pain, God has purpose. And God knows how to work all things for the good of them that love him, them that are called uh, according to his purpose. So I, I know that this is a difficult season for many. Um, there are people who are losing jobs, being furloughed. Uh, this is a time that just feels very odd to so many people, including me. Uh, I'm driving around like, God, you know, when is this season going to pass? But until it passes, uh, let's continue to trust God. Uh, let's continue to move. Let's continue to be prayerful. Um, don't stop right now. Don't pause. There's so much going on that we, we don't want to be silenced in this moment. And we don't want to be stagnant in this moment either. And so I'm praying for you. I pray that the conversation at least sparked uh, some thought that will help us to move forward and see change happen in our community because we desire change and we're hungry for it right now and we're hurting for it right now. And so at this time, we're actually gonna close out, but before we close out completely, I wanna give each and every person who's sitting with me and took out time out of their evening to have this conversation, I wanna give them the opportunity to have one last word before we close out in prayer. So we'll start with David. What do we tell our children? I tell mine to be mindful, be aware of their situations or, or their environment, pay attention to every aspect that's going on around them, and always understand that you must, must, must plan, even before you walk in the door, how you situate your vehicle, all of that matters before you even get to a situation that's gonna actually be just a party, mm -hmm. just a good time. Yeah. You have to think about and be deliberate about your processing things. You spoke about the economic piece. We have to watch where we spend those dollars. Um, I believe it was Quasi and Fume had an organization back in the 1980s um, and 90s where they would market and see where the dollars are being spent in the black neighborhood. And if you did not spend money back in our neighborhoods and we spent money out there with you, they made phone calls to them until they got those changes. Maybe we need to start doing things like that once again as far as our economic dollars because they'll take your money, but they won't take your, um, your opinion about something. And then you have civil unrest like we have right now. I would say that as we encounter 
some really challenging situations, since many things are a matter of survival, what's critical is that you have as much emotional intelligence as humanly possible. And being level-headed and trying to make the best decisions in the face of a unfavorable situation is really about the best that you can do. And the last thing is talking about the economical part of, uh, of things with uh, entrepreneurship. I would say that the prerequisite for getting the dollar is to just be excellent in what you do. Because when you own something, your voice is louder. Amen. Amen. Uh, Pastor Brown, I, I, I want to give you an opportunity to share what, what's ever on your heart. But at the same time, I have another question for you. What do we tell our white brothers and sisters? Stop separating the church from social injustice. That is very crucial. That we do not hate the policemen. We understand and we know the, how valuable they are. Because when we have troubles, we call the police. That to be pro-justice for black people does not mean you're anti-white. Yes, yes, amen, amen. That, that is so, so good. And so we're, we're calling on um, our white brothers and sisters who know the power of their privilege uh, to be a voice with us, to speak with us in unity. Because if we all speak, somebody's gonna have to hear. Um, even if you are, are struggling with racism, and your own privilege as a white person, when we come together collectively and, and we begin to speak to um, some of the things that we're seeing, racism, uh, racial profiling, discrimination of all kinds, when we come together, we cannot be denied. Yes. And so I ask my white brothers and sisters to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you lead you to speak, lead you uh, to confront, lead you to pull um, a, a white uh, friend aside and tell them, hey, don't say that. That's the wrong way to think. Uh, we need some people that's ready to stand up. And we believe that there are some that's watching right now or some who will watch, who will hear the call and they'll make a decision to stand up and use their voice for good. You know, at this time, um, I just want to say thank you all for being with us and, and coming you. out. Uh, Y'all came on such short notice. Uh, so thank you all. This is a critical time in our world and in our nation uh, and for us as a people. And we want to make sure that we're uh, speaking as one voice and that we have a strategy and a plan moving forward. Uh, with that being said, I'm going to ask pastor brown to close us out in prayer father in the name of jesus we thank you so much for your grace and mercy your loving kindness you're the god of mercy and even though george was not shown mercy help us to all learn a lesson from that that we need to be merciful one to another that you have made of all blood one people to dwell on all the face of the earth. That we are not enemies one of another, but we are brothers and sisters with one father. You said in the book of Malachi, have we not all one father? 
then why do we deal so treacherously one with the other? Help us to know your heart as a father for all of your children and that we have a responsibility toward one another that cannot, should not be denied. Father, we pray now for the family of this man, this George. Father, we pray for his mother, his family, his siblings, his loved ones. And we pray for comfort and peace. And we pray for your glory to rest upon them. But we also pray, God, for answers. We pray for the mobilization of a people, God, who have been denied. We pray for unity between black people and white people and people of every nationality and color. That we would not see just color, but we would see injustice. Because injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Cause us to come together to pray and to build, to work as one. And we thank you, God, for forums such as these and for this pastor whose heart you laid this burden upon. And we pray, God, that you would place this burden upon the heart of many others. That we will begin to have these crucial conversations, not only in our churches, but in our marriages and in our homes and in our schools and in storefronts and in barbershops and in salons. We would have these kinds of conversations so that we can come together and heal as a nation and heal as a people. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this evening. Please share this conversation. I believe that it's going to be a blessing to many. God bless you.